Hello and welcome to Across the River, a podcast that weaves together death and dying, tarot, and witchcraft. I'm Rebecca. And I'm Sarah. We are not experts of any kind, simply two witches who like to think and talk about death, dying, and divination. We invite you to journey with us across the river. We are recording across the river in Toronto, Ontario, also known as Tecoronto. The land that holds this city is and has been for millennia a home to many diverse First Nations and Indigenous, Inuit, and Métis peoples, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabe, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat peoples. The land teaches us about the cycles of birth, death, decay, and rebirth. We're grateful for the opportunity to live in and learn from this land. Hey, friend. Hi, friend. How are you doing today? I'm pretty good. I feel a little bit on the tired side today. Mm. Um, But yeah, good otherwise. How about you? Kind of the same. I've been in, I don't know, a little bit of a funk for the last little bit, Mm -hmm. which given, um, if you listen to the last episode, you'll know that I've been moving through grief, so I guess that's not all that surprising. Yeah, yeah. Um, Unsurprising. I've also wondered if I'm like slightly resisting the topic today. Ah, it is, it is a confronting one. It is a confronting one. Um. (laughs) So today we agreed some time ago that today's topic was going to be our own deaths. Yep. We are going to be talking about our own deaths. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. Why are we talking about this? Oh, well, um, I think that if we're able to really think about and plan for and imagine um, what it is that we would like for our last days and how we would like to be celebrated by those who love us and uh, all of the things involved with thinking about and planning for one's own death. Um, I think it could potentially open up a space for people to start doing that kind of thing for themselves and also having conversations with loved ones about mm-hmm. um, what you would want, what they would want. Um, I think there is a huge shroud of silence that covers this entire topic. No one really wants to go there. No one wants to um, think about this kind of thing. But yeah, um, I think that when we don't do that, then we come up, this will happen eventually, yep. and we come up against it fully unprepared. And I think that can make it a more difficult, I mean, it's always going to be a difficult experience, but I think it can make it much, much worse. And by having these kinds of discussions, we can ease that time a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fully on board. Um with everything that you just said there. I think that's all really, really true. We've probably both been in situations where, you know, maybe someone is approaching end of life and and it's known that they are going to die and still people are not willing to like, Mm -hmm. 
have conversations about like what items should go to what kids or making funeral arrangements or those sorts of things and so like on a practical level there's all of all of those concerns Mm -hmm. but yeah then on on an emotional or spiritual level there is that too there are so many other ways of um thinking about or not thinking about Mm -hmm. talking about or not talking about this topic um one reason I was keen to talk about this with you and maybe this reveals something about me but like I think I think about my own death like every day (laughs) like at least once a day I think about the fact that I'm going to die and like I don't know like I don't know how normal that is like listeners weigh in if you think that that's if you think that that's messed up or if you're like yeah I totally think about my own death every day like I don't know we would love to know either way but like what about what about you how much of your how much of your brain share does this preoccupy <sighs> that is a good question I I'm not an everyday kind of person um I think that I do need to kind of have a little bit of distance from that every once in a while I don't think I'm the kind of person that could be I mean, like, I'm well aware of my mortality, and I think I'm fairly have a healthy relationship with it. Um, but yeah, I think if I thought about the fact that I was going to die every day, I would <laughs> maybe never leave my house or something like that. Um, but I do think about it. I it is something that, um, especially when I was doing the uh, end of life or death doula course. Um, we spent a lot of time in groups discussing all aspects of our own uh, potential uh, illness and also mm. um, deaths uh, in terms of like how we would want to die and how we would want to be, what what sort of memorial rituals we would want afterwards as well. Mm-hmm. And I found it wonderfully creative mm-hmm. and really exciting uh-huh. so you'll also have to tell us listeners if that's <laughs> very weird too um but it started to make me realize that I think the ritualization of end of life is something that really interests me mm-hmm yeah, me too. I mean, what you just described is also like why I decided to train as a funeral celebrant. Mm-hmm. Because when I think about the forms that these rituals can take, what they're able to do for us, for, for the person who's died, for the people who are still here, I just feel so invigorated. Mm-hmm. So then I thought, well, you know, you should probably like go where that, that energy is. Yeah, I think we both share a really strong interest in what that time can be like if you're approaching it consciously. Yes. And to be clear, like when I say I think about it every day, (laughs) I'm not necessarily dwelling on this just to like, you know, clarify. I'm not like dwelling on it, but I, it does often occur to me. I mean, sometimes it occurs to me when I'm like laying awake at two in the morning, if I can't Mm. sleep, that's a prime time for (laughs) thinking about death. (laughs) Um, But, but I, I don't know, you know, it will cross my mind. Sometimes I find, um, it crosses my mind in moments when I'm really, uh, grateful for something or immersed in something beautiful and there's a little bit of a kind of boy what how amazing that like I get to do this in this time that I'm alive mm-hmm. and you know again maybe that's a little uh maybe that feels a little bit on the morbid side for some and uh, sometimes I think I could stand to think about mortality a little less than I do mm-hmm. I think I'm inclined to have it present 
in mind to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I just wish I could just be like, you know what? Like, I would love to like just take a vacation from thinking about this. <laughs> Yeah. And that's tricky though, because we're both in death work. Um, I guess neither of us have a hospice client right at this moment, but we've spent a fair amount of time in that realm. And I think if you're going to be spending time there, it's almost inevitable that this will come up for you. And I think if it's not, then there might be some denial happening that, um, that I don't know may or may not be healthy but yeah I I hear what you're saying and actually I might even say I almost feel like it's the other way around in that I was interested in doing hospice work because I was inclined to consider mortality and I and I wonder if an inclination to like to kind of Mm -hmm. I'm not comfortable thinking about death per se Mm -hmm. um but I'm like willing to think about and engage with it Mm-hmm. And like you were saying, there are some aspects of it that I, I kind of find life-giving, like the mm-hmm. the potency that, that the awareness of mortality can bring to some to the experience of your life, I think, is, is a real thing. You know, I, I think that there's ways in which the conclusion of life gives meaning to life. But yeah, so I, th- I kind of think that maybe, um, I wonder if it's a little bit of a an evolutionary adaptation that you need like a certain proportion of the population (laughs) who's willing to like think about these things so that they can then like do what work needs to be done around Mm -hmm. death care. Yep. Yep. Um, although that is interesting too, even because it, it didn't used to be that it was people generally people outside of the family doing the death care. So I guess, that's something to consider as well, where um, we are now, just the way that we're set up societally, um, systemically, uh, we, I mean, people generally die in hospitals, and um, yeah, we're just really removed from a lot of the nitty-gritty parts of it. Mm-hmm. What do you think your, you would want for your death to look like? Okay, I've been thinking about how we could like have this conversation. I've wondered about like whether we should go back and forth. Like, I'll say a thing that I yeah. a thing that I would want, and then you could say a thing that you would want. Because mm-hmm. I kind of feel like the whole the whole shebang is like a lot at one go. Yes. Um, the number one thing that I think I want is not something I have control over, mm-hmm. but I'll say what it is anyway. Yeah. I want to remain um, mentally sound as I understand it. Mm-hmm. That's what I want at this time. Okay. I want to remain in a, in a mental state where I have agency over how I make meaning of what I'm experiencing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, do I get control over that? No. But that is a thing that I want. Mm-hmm. I want to be I want to do it consciously. Yep. <laughs> if that makes sense. It That's does. what I say I want now. That is the other thing. This is a constantly evolving conversation we're having with ourselves and hopefully with people outside ourselves as well. So, yeah, you can... I mean, like, I thought I wanted to be cremated Mm -hmm. for the longest time. And I'm not 100% sure, but now I'm leaning towards... Now that there are more options, I'm leaning towards... um, They call it aquamation Mm, or... um, 
basically they use chemicals to dissolve your body down into something like cremated ashes. Yep. And um, it is much more environmentally friendly. So I have I have kind of switched from that to to this. Yeah, like what to do with the body is such a big part with the body, with my body. (laughs) She said distancing herself from the idea. What to do with your own body is such a huge part of this of this Mm -hmm. conversation. Um, And I think you're right. Like a lot of people, cremation has I think become the most popular Mm -hmm. method of disposition, as they say in the language. That's my understanding. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, uh, you know, to to which for a moment here, it kind of feels like you can give your body to one of the elements, mm. and some people choose fire mm-hmm. through cremation. You sound like you are leaning towards water. Yep. I want to go into the ground, mm-hmm. and uh, and into the earth, and have yep. a green what we're calling a green burial, what we used to just kind of call burial. Yep. <laughs> um, but in, in a contemporary context, what that means is that um, I wouldn't be embalmed. Mm-hmm. I would not be in um, an elaborate casket. Yeah. Sometimes a shroud or just like a very plain wooden box. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Untreated, exactly. I would Untreated. Assume. Yeah. No chemicals. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea being that you are um, nothing that could negatively impact the ecosystem into which you are being buried. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you, um, yeah, then you just, uh, let nature take its course as mm-hmm. it were. Ugh. I want to want that one actually, because I find it very, oh, gosh, I know romantic maybe isn't the best word here, but I find it very romantic. The idea of returning to the earth. Yeah. I find it very powerful. I have had for the longest time that I can remember a fear that my consciousness might remain in my body mm. after my body mm-hmm. has ceased to yeah. really support consciousness, which I know. <laughs> right. But it's just this deep, deep fear that I have that I can't completely make go away. So I'm kind of working with it instead. And you would think that like, I mean, like being burned would also be scary, but it's kind of when, when I'm working with that fear, it's what is the least awful thing that I could like, that could happen to my body? Should I be conscious, still be conscious in it? (laughs) (laughs) And, and the idea of just like, of being eaten by bugs and returning to the earth is just like, it's the longest process. So therefore it is the one where I'm just like, no, cannot do. (laughs) That's so funny because I think part of, I think I, part of, part of why I don't want to be cremated is that exact same thing. And also, (laughs) you know, we're kind of animist leaning. Mm -hmm. We, 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 we perceive life into all kinds of things that are, Mm -hmm. um, not by a Western society viewed to be alive. Yeah. Um, and I think you and I both would like, we've deliberately cultivated that mindset. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, a human, a recently deceased human body, I think everyone, even if you're like a pretty hard materialist, I bet you would be hard pressed to not at least consider mm-hmm. some feeling of presence mm-hmm. when you are with the yeah. body of someone who has recently died. Yeah. So I think it makes, I mean, what you're describing, I think makes, makes huge sense. Um, for me, 
Okay, here's what I like about Green Burial. Okay. Um, right now I'm alive because I'm consuming the life of other beings. Mm-hmm. Consuming the life of plant and animal beings. Mm-hmm. So it feels reciprocal to me that when, when I no longer require the matter of my body mm-hmm. to put it back into the earth so that it can then, so that then all that life, all of that matter that sustained my life can turn back into energy mm-hmm. in the lives of other creatures. And I've kind of recently started to think that like, you know, kind of looking, looking at my own hand, it's, it's like matter right now, mm-hmm. but you know, what are, I don't know, what are, what is my consciousness even that relies on, on matter and energy as well. Like the, yeah. the whole package, mm-hmm. um, that maybe like someday some, some part of like the matter of my body would like nourish a plant mm-hmm. that gets like eaten by, mm-hmm. by a, by a raven. <laughs> Let's we'll pick a raven cause it's me. And then like some part of of me is forming like a thought in the mind of a raven or something. Ooh, yeah. That like, I don't know. That's a, it's the only kind of immortality that I feel really sure about. Like Mm -hmm. pretty sure that what is me, what is in me Mm -hmm. can be alive in, in a different being. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. And like, I don't know. I really, I really want that. I really feel, Mm -hmm. I really feel right about returning all of the energy that I've consumed throughout my life, mm-hmm. returning that energy back into the source that I got it from. And so I hope that like, by the time I do die, that those kinds of burial options are more available. Yes. Yeah. Because they're a little scant right now. They are. My understanding is that, don't quote me on this, but I think there's a few places in Toronto that are starting to think about, like, so what you see a lot is hybrid cemeteries yeah. where they create a specific space for green burial. Yeah. Um, and I think that more of them are popping up. I think that's true. And there are also, um, I want to say there is a fully a full green burial site in maybe Collingwood. Okay. Um, again, don't quote me. I can't quite remember. Mm-hmm. If you are interested in this, uh, listeners, you can look at the Natural Burial Association of Ontario. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure they're naturalburial.ca, but we'll check that and put it in the show notes. But mm-hmm. um, that is an organization that's really working to try and advocate and make this more available including things like um trying to change certain kinds of um fees associated with starting a cemetery mm-hmm. that are currently obstructive because they're high but the 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 things that those fees would be covering are not applicable to uh, green yes. cemeteries like okay. their fees for like the maintenance of the concrete vaults mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. this is maybe worth unpacking like i wonder yeah. how aware people are of this that when when we're dealing with what we call traditional burial now which involves embalming and a you know a a varnished casket and mm-hmm. all of the things that we kind of think of those when those burials take place those caskets are surrounded by like a concrete vault. Right. Yeah. And the reason that's there is to keep the embalming chemicals from getting into the ground and into the groundwater because they're yes. toxic. Yeah. Um, 
I want to be cautious here because I think that maybe doing things that way is important or meaningful to mm-hmm. some. So, like, mm-hmm. I, I'm not here to, like, cast aspersions on anyone's choices around this. Yeah. Um, however, I I guess I question, I question, I guess, a mentality that involves... Well, now I'm like, oh, a crow just flew by out there. Of course. Of course. Hello. Um, <laughs> I'll leave it in. Um <laughs> I think this is maybe a tension that we've always felt because Mm -hmm. some of the earliest evidence we have for like social behavior in humans involves what look like burial rituals. Mm -hmm. And um, we think maybe Neanderthals were doing them. Oh gosh, I was just watching a a documentary on Netflix and I'm forgetting even before Neanderthals, there is some evidence of a very distant human relative potentially doing this. Yeah. So making decisions about how to, what to do with the bodies of our dead mm-hmm. is older than humans. Yes. Older than humans. And sometimes yeah. what we've chosen to do is to place the body in a place of honor that keeps it separate from the elements. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of, you know, some of the archaeology that has even offered me like some clues as to what maybe my my own pre-christian ancestors may have done and practiced mm-hmm. things that have been important to my witch practice mm-hmm. some of that archaeological evidence has come from burials mm-hmm. and grave sites yeah when we see how people were buried what they were buried with mm-hmm. and those things exist because in some way the burial kept the person from you know, fully returning to the earth. The skeleton is still there. Their grave goods are still there sometimes. Mm-hmm. So I I kind of feel that we humans have this tension between these two things where we want, we want to, like, protect this sacred mm-hmm. vessel from, um, you know, decay, which is sort of horrifying when you, in, in a sense. And then yeah. I, we also feel this, I feel this impulse to return that body back into mm-hmm. the energy and matter of life. Yeah. And, uh, and I guess that's the really fun thing about having these kinds of conversations though, is that everyone gets to hopefully make choices about what happens to them or their loved ones. And I mean, I know that I want, I really like the idea of having some kind of remains that's able to be placed in a few different places. Mm. Um, so for myself, I want, um, there is a family, we do have a family plot um, at a cemetery here in Toronto, and there's a space for myself and for my brother. Um, and I would like to be buried there with my grandparents mm-hmm. uh, and my parents eventually as well. And I want, my husband to be able to have some of my ashes should he choose to want them Uh, and I also want to be scattered on the lake near my parents cottage as well Um, and all of those feel really important to me so that means that for myself yes doing cremation or aquamation would mean that I could be I could end up in a few different places yeah (laughs) I'm curious too do you have any um idea of like we're talking a lot about like body disposition which Mm -hmm. means what to do with our bodies after our consciousness consciousness is no longer there but i'm wondering if you've thought as much about um the dying process for you as well Hmm. 
Yes and no. Mm -hmm. I have thought about it. Mm-hmm. I wonder if this would be a good time to bring in a card, actually. Let's do it. I have two cards. One of them I chose, one of them the deck chose. Mm. I asked the deck first, and the one the deck chose is the Five of Cups. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's a real bummer. <laughs> I don't really <laughs> want to talk about the Five of Cups. <laughs> like, I, but, but the question I asked annoyingly was, um, what card do you think I should talk about on the podcast? Ah. So I, now, you know, now I kind of have to bring in the Five of Cups. <laughs> um, but I think it's really relevant. Um, I'm using the Shadowland Tarot, Monica Badursky's deck. Um, which was she created to help as a tool for for doing some shadow work. Um, mm-hmm. So it's populated by all of these wonderful kind of spooky creatures. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them are you know spooky and some of them are funny and it's it's just a really wonderful deck. But the Five of Cups traditionally is a card that I I think has been on this podcast before because we yes. both associate it with grief traditionally associated with grief and Mm -hmm. it usually shows someone on the other side of a body of water looking back at a building a home or a castle Mm -hmm. and this real feeling of like a home that you can't go to again a place that you can't go again yeah and this one's a little different the figure is this sort of kind of creepy like water humanoid monster (laughs) um and they're facing the viewer, so they're looking. You can like feel the sort of the distress of this creature, and the cups that are spilled are cans of paint. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's this feeling of like maybe the loss of creativity that that implies, the loss mm-hmm. of creation that that implies. Mm-hmm. Um, but with this card, there's always there's always something behind the person doing the grieving that they haven't noticed yet. And in this case, what's behind this figure is a body of water. Oh. And they are clearly a water being. They've got yeah. flippered feet. Mm-hmm. And it's bringing to mind, when the card came out, one of the first things I thought of was something that one of my teachers said in a class I took at U of T. Mm-hmm. I think I've mentioned this course before. This was a course on music in palliative care settings. Yes, right. It was taught by Dr. Kevin Komisarek at University mm-hmm. of Toronto, who among the many things that he does, one of them is playing music for people who are dying. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he teaches this remarkable seminar. It was my first my first instance of hospice training, and it was quite extraordinary. Um, but one of the points he made in that class that I really hadn't considered up until that point, I hadn't thought about it in this way, I had thought about being a person who's grieving the loss of someone who has died. Mm -hmm. But I hadn't thought about the fact that the dying person isn't losing one person. They are losing everyone Mm -hmm. and everything. Mm -hmm. And there's something in this Five of Cups that seems to me to Mm -hmm. have some of that. And it is just quite sad Mm -hmm. and I didn't want to like have this conversation without acknowledging that that's that that's there yeah and I also wanted to 
note that when it, when this creature does turn around and go into the water, mm-hmm. they will be in their element. Yeah. And that there's a kind of... I hope that there is a sense of a kind of returning that, that might be possible. That mm-hmm. somehow the being that is me kind of arose up out of the universe, mm-hmm. coalesced into this particular alive individual, myself, and then at some point is going to dissolve back Mm -hmm. into what I came from. And that that's a shared experience. We're all going to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, That's not quite what you were asking, which I think was kind of about maybe looking at how to ritualize or what sacred Mm -hmm. practices are going to be present at that time. Mm -hmm. I don't think I know yet, to be honest. Um, That's completely fair. I think I would want to continue some version of my current practices mm-hmm. um, which have sort of been part of my life for some years now and maybe by the time I die assuming I get to live to a hundred which was my plan when I <laughs> that that's another thing that I want I didn't <laughs> I didn't say this earlier but when I was a young child I decided I was going to live to a hundred so when okay. I die at a hundred all right um, I will have something like you know 70 years if I'm if I'm disciplined of mm-hmm. a kind of daily practice which has involved lighting a candle lighting some incense sitting for a while, often with some kind of sacred object, mm-hmm. um, maybe a little bit of meditating or journeying, and then writing down my dreams, and then journaling a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, some combination of the above. Yeah. The candle and the incense are every day. Mm-hmm. And there's a, there's a little offering. I share my coffee on mm-hmm. the altar. Um, I would really like to be able to continue with those practices. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of means, like being in a setting where I can have candles and incense, for instance. Yes. So that's maybe, you know, considering part of like what, uh, that probably means I want to die at home and not in a hospital, you know. Mm -hmm. It may mean that there's a point at which I can no longer do those things myself and maybe someone who is helping care for me could light the candles and the incense for me. Mm -hmm. But I guess my feeling right now is that I want whatever rituals are taking place to be those that I've that I've lived with for a long time. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What are your What are your thoughts around this? <sighs> I have a bit of a vision in my head for the whole thing, which, um, again, as I was saying earlier, this is, I mean, like this is a conversation that kind of keeps going. Um, but so I actually. Um, realized as I was doing the dual course during one of the classes, during one of the discussions that we were having um, around having been with someone who, while they passed, um, and for me, that was my grandmother. I was actually in the room when she, uh, when she died, and it was not a good experience mm. uh, in a lot of different ways. I am grateful that I was with her when she did die. I, am, I know I would have felt a great deal of regret had I not been there but she died in a hospital 
We were not given a lot of information about what was going on. She was pretty much in a coma for about four days before she passed. And it was pretty awful. The most distinct memory I have of it is that the when she, like the minute that she died and we realized and I started bawling and she didn't even have a private room. So across the curtain um, to the next patient, um, a doctor came by doing their rounds and was just talking with this person about their, uh, uh, or sorry, the doctor was talking with the patient about their stuff and uh, we were in there and I was sobbing and it was just it, uh, the least sacred thing that you mm -hmm. can think of. Um, and yeah, it was really funny actually when we were doing that, having that discussion and talking about that. Um, I realized that I had done a lot of grieving for my grandmother. I had not done a lot of processing about her actual passing. Mm -hmm. And uh, since then I have done a little bit of that. So one thing that I know for absolutely sure is um, I do not want to die in a hospital. Mm -hmm. Again, we're talking about things that we may not have control over, but... Um, I have been let it know, uh, have let it known to my loved ones that like if there's any possible way for that to not happen, um, that is a big number one for me. Assuming that I die from an illness, I would like to stay at home as much as possible. Oh, sorry, when I say I don't want to die in a hospital, I'm not necessarily saying I wouldn't be open to dying in a hospice. That's different. But that is different. Um, yeah. However. If I were to die from illness, I would want to be at home as much as I possibly could. Um, I would actually want to be set up in the room that we are recording in right mm. now, which is my witchy office, where I have all sorts of delightful, um, all of my witchy art up on the walls mm. and like a gazillion crystals <laughs> and my broom and my plants, uh, all the plants that have been gifted to me that are poisonous for my cat. <laughs> live in a no cat room <laughs> mm -hmm. but the most important thing is that um rebecca can see it and i'll describe it for you i have a giant uh juliet balcony on one wall through which a gorgeous amount of sunlight comes through and um so yeah i would want to be set up in here i would want to be set up right next to that window um i would want to it's not a huge room but i would want to make it cozy for any visitors who were going to come by and um, I know that in this particular scenario, um, in my final days, I would want lots of visitors. Uh, I would also want to have space and time that was always only my own. So I would arrange it or have people arrange it so that like visitors come, but then there's always time for like quiet as well. When, when it's the really end of life, any visitor who come, I would want them to write down a wish for me mm -hmm. or a memory or mm -hmm. um, something positive from like maybe an experience that, that we had together. I would want those to be gathered in a bowl. And when I pass, I would want the balcony doors wide open and for someone to burn those mm -hmm. so that they can leave with my spirit. And That's beautiful. Yeah, thanks. So... That's one scenario <laughs> anyway. I will probably end up coming up with like 
um, different ones for different scenarios. But um, yeah, like I said, I find this like a really beautifully creative process. Mm -hmm. And I think for myself, I'm also aware that thinking about like how all of this will go down and what I would want and how I would want people to respond and all sorts of things like that it does give me a sense of control over it. Mm -hmm. And I'm well aware that like that control only goes so far, but I think there are things that don't have to be left to chance. Yes. Um, if we're willing to just think and talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm really resonating with that. Um, I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful vision, and even if it changes over the years, mm -hmm. which it sounds like you're anticipating that, you know, some elements of it will change, that you're engaged with the process, and that then that also gives your family the opportunity to say, we know what she wanted, mm -hmm. and we gave it to her, to mm -hmm. the, you know, to the greatest extent that we could, yeah. you know, we, we, we acted in these ways that honored her wishes, and, and that's, that's some peace for them too. That's some, yes. Um, and that leaves them in a very different place than your experience when you were with your grandmother, when she died, left to you mm -hmm. very, very different. I think probably most people listening also agree that they don't want to die in a hospital. Mm -hmm. In fact, I think no one wants to die in a hospital. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's not entirely there are people who don't want to die at home mm. um, I know for myself I have a family member who passed away from cancer not too too long ago um, and he and his wife had decided I don't know who was more pushing for it or not pushing for it but I don't know who it mattered the most to but um, he did not want for that to be what was remembered in that space. Yeah, okay, that's a um, good point. So I think it, it can depend, but I think not wanting to die at home and wanting to die in a hospital are maybe two different yeah. things. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that's true. Um, you know, for me, I, I don't know, I, I've, I was thinking about this on the way over. I've been thinking about this for a while. You know, in part, I'm, because it's, I hope so far away I and not knowing what my circumstances will be one one mm -hmm. aspect that maybe where where the way we might think about it differs a little bit mm -hmm. um, we don't have children mm -hmm. we don't intend to have children right. I mean we're not having children <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> it's, it's done we're not yeah. we're not having kids mm -hmm. so my end of life is not going to involve being cared for by mm -hmm. adult children of mine yeah um, and you know, I think a lot of people, their end of life plan doesn't necessarily involve being cared for by their children. They make other plans or it mm -hmm. works out a different way. So I don't want to, you know, I don't want to perpetuate that assumption that mm -hmm. people who have children, those children are necessarily going to care for people when they die. You know, yeah. we know that that's not always the way it, go it shakes out, mm -hmm. um, or the best for, for all involved. So, yes. um, however, you know, what that, what that does mean is that you know, I have to be considering, for instance, if I need some kind of care, mm -hmm. how will that care be provided? Yes. What makes sense for how that care will be provided? Who is going to be around me in my life at that time? That is a, another thing. I'm that, not sure, yeah. you know. Mm -hmm. um, 
I'm not sure who will be around in terms of family. Mm-hmm. You know, we both have, both my husband and I have relatively small nuclear families. Mm-hmm. And um, it's too unclear to know kind of what my circumstances are going to be. Mm-hmm. So from a practical perspective, it may be that I die in the, in the home I'm living in right now. Mm-hmm. It's possible that we'll live there until, yeah. you know, I don't know. You know, and again, it depends on like, Mm-hmm. What's our mobility like? What's our yes. how independently can we live? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Which of us is gonna go first? Am I gonna you know, yeah. or are we gonna be? I mean, currently our plan is we both live to a hundred and then we die on the same night in each other's arms. Maybe that's how I want to go. <laughs> <laughs> that's so beautiful. Maybe that's you it. Are Maybe much we're... less selfish than me. My plan is to go first. <laughs> I have requested. I have demanded that I go first. I mean, I a hundred percent don't want to go second. <laughs> like. <laughs> But I know I don't think he does either. So, you know, maybe we're just going to have to be one of those, like, couples that dies within hours of each other. I I don't know. Um, I hope that for you. Yeah, I kind of hope that for us, too. Um, I'm kind of hedging, I guess, because it it may be that we are needing to live in a situation where where we are able to receive care. Mm -hmm. I don't know what that's going to look like. And frankly, it kind of scares me, you know? I don't Mm -hmm. don't really know... um, I know that I want to die in a place that's sacred to me, mm-hmm. that I have a relationship with and a connection with. Mm-hmm. You'd said earlier you're not opposed to dying like in hospice, and I think mm-hmm. hospice, residential hospices mm-hmm. do try to create that kind of space for the people they who do, are living yes. there. Mm-hmm. And um, if I have to be somewhere that's not my own home, I think that is what I would want. Mm-hmm. Um, but really... You know where I think I really might want it to be is on the point of land. Um, in northern New Hampshire, there's a lake called Lake Winnipesaukee, and my, on my dad's side of the family, there's a property mm-hmm. um, that I've been going to ever since I was a, a, in utero, I think, you know, mm-hmm. ever since I was a young child. And out in front of the house is a point of land um, where there are these big rocks there's a pine tree that has sort of grown on its side along the ground and then up. So when we were kids, it was the bow of a ship or it was the, mm-hmm. um, you know, the it, it's been all kinds of things to us over the years. It looks out over the water and then across the water are the Ossipee Mountains. Mm-hmm. And um, my great-grandmother's ashes are buried there. My grandmother's ashes are buried there. And my dad's cousin's ashes are buried there. Mm-hmm. And uh, it may be that if I had absolute choice, I would die out on that point of land. That would be beautiful. And I, given my druthers, I'd put my whole body right in the ground there. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's legal. <laughs> um, Technically, I'd, I, well, I don't know what the laws are in New Hampshire. Here, I don't think that's legal. There are places where you can, with the appropriate permitting, bury bodies on private property if okay. it's documented and and it and you ensure that future property owners are aware of it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very close to the water, so it might there might be restrictions about how close to water you can do it. Uh, I don't know yes. that that's possible, um, and I actually don't even know for certain whether that property will still be in the family at that time. Like, mm-hmm. I just don't know. Yeah. Um, but... 
yeah, that's a very important place to me, mm-hmm. and that might be where, yeah, um, where I would, where I would want to go. Mm-hmm. When my grandmother died a few years ago, she died in Maryland. That's where she was living. Mm-hmm. Um, but she had gone up there, you know, every summer of her life for for most of the years of her life until she no longer was able to do so. And my dad was up at the lake when she really began to decline and he got a call saying, you know, you should probably come down here. Mm-hmm. And he had, he had FaceTimed, you know, her, her, you know, her caregivers were sort of holding up the phone so he could FaceTime her. And, um, she had pretty advanced dementia. Okay. Um, but he went out there onto that point of land and he said, mom, look where I am. And he held up the camera so she could see across the lake. And her, the last word she ever spoke was ossipee. Oh my god. The mountain range. She knew them in her bones. And and so do I. Sorry. I didn't expect to get super emotional talking about this. No. I think part of the reason I'm I'm getting emotional. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much of me being emotional we're gonna leave in, but probably some of it is gonna stay in. Yeah. I think one of the reasons I'm getting emotional. And, and one of the reasons this topic makes me emotional and one of the things that makes it hard to talk about yeah. is that I just love it here so much. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I like, I love it on this planet yeah. and in this life and like all of the places I've been able to be and the people I know and the friend, the friends I have and the music I've sung and like, it's completely miraculous. It is. And I think that's one of the reasons it's like good to talk about death is because it, at least for me, it often makes me more aware, more acutely aware mm-hmm. of how miraculous it is to be alive and having this experience of like being conscious and being in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel very much the same way. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. And yeah, it's, it's really hard to think about. I mean... If I were to die tomorrow, I would not be ready. Like, there is way too much that I love here as well. I'm never going to be ready. That is also probably... (laughs) Yeah. And maybe that's like... I don't know. I mean, I've I've tried to be like... You know, I would... I've articulated it to myself sometimes as though I'm trying to live my life in such a way that when the time comes, I am ready. Mm Mm-hmm. But the more I go on, the more I think I'm just never going to be ready. That's that's maybe okay. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez, we did go for a, a topic that <laughs> comes with some stuff, didn't yeah. we? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is part of why I don't have an answer about like the ritual. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that there's any ritual big enough to hold what's going to happen. And maybe that's going to bring me to my, to my second card, actually, is, if I that's think, okay. I think that that is actually a really important point to make. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so, yeah, so the deck picks the Five of Cups, and then I, you know, began crying moments later, so <laughs> that, that tracks. I picked card zero of oh. the Major Arcana. Oh, the Fool. Well, yes, it is the Fool in most decks. Okay. In Monica's deck here, she has called this card the Seeker. Right, yes, okay. It's sort of, you know, it's traditional in some ways and a little bit a little bit different in, in other ways. Um, but traditionally, this card depicts someone setting out on a journey mm-hmm. 
kind of naively mm-hmm. brimming with possibility with you know a little bag and sometimes there's a dog and mm-hmm. um and they're sort of a holy fool you know they're they're not a fool because they're foolish they they just don't know mm-hmm. they haven't been through the journey yet and so they just don't know what's ahead mm-hmm. monica has called this card the seeker which i really like because it suggests that they're they're not just setting off fully without intention they're curious about something mm-hmm. And in the way she's depicted this card, um, her spooky little seeker's um, head is not currently on their shoulders. It's down here by their feet. <laughs> um, so they're not being guided by, by mm-hmm. thought and planning and rationality so much. They're kind of being guided by instinct. And in their right hand is a little black cat who's pointing the way forward. Oh. Now, the way forward happens to lead over a cliff in this at this point Mm -hmm. um but at some point they're just gonna have to kind of step off into the unknown Mm -hmm. and i don't know about you but like there's a number of animals that guide people to the to the other world and Mm -hmm. and i would happily follow a little black cat (laughs) that's a that is i mean i follow cats now (laughs) so like (laughs) If if a, if a cat turned out to be the psychopomp animal that shows up to show me the way, that would be okay by me. Um, mm-hmm. But there is there's um, an attitude with which I want to approach it, mm-hmm. and I think it's one of curiosity. Yeah, and of understanding that like there's no. I don't know that I'm going to come to any firm beliefs about what I think happens after we die. Mm-hmm. I don't think in the course of my lifetime, I'm going to resolve that question to my own satisfaction. So I'm just going to have to go and not know what it is. Mm-hmm. I like the cat guide as a reminder that often people experience that they don't go alone. Mm-hmm. I settled on this card because it just represents that we have no idea and we have to do it anyway. Mm-hmm. We have no idea. I considered bringing the priestess. Okay. Um, and I didn't bring I didn't bring the priestess because that's a figure who goes and comes back. Yes. And um, you know, mm-hmm. that's not what we're talking about here. No. So. Yeah, card zero, the seeker. Oh, I love it. I'm really, just digesting everything you said there because it feels so important to talk about. I also do not feel like I will ever have that question answered, even if I also happen to live to a hundred, even longer. I don't think that's one of the things that my grief journey recently has brought me towards is just that there's no knowing for sure. There's no knowing why, there's no knowing how, there's no knowing where, and stepping off that cliff anyway, oof, yeah, I'm just, uh, I'm really sitting with that, I'm loving it. Uh, I am wondering if it's okay if I bring in the card that I pulled today, which was the Two of Cups, and I actually, Rebecca was with me when I pulled this, because I... (laughs) completely forgotten <laughs> to bring a tarot card for today it was something like i pulled out my cards and you were like oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> and 
uh, the card that came out of the deck for me today was the Two of Cups. I mean, this is a card about connection, for sure. Um, it's a card about... A lot of people talk about relationships with it, like romantic relationships. I think it's a bit broader than that, for sure. And as you were talking about, like, the fact that we're... I guess I'm trying to prepare for something that is unpreparable for. Yeah. <laughs> That's not what I meant to say. Prepare for something that just can't be prepared for. Yeah. Um, and I think I do see value in that, definitely. Um, and the value that I see that relates to the Two of Cups is that, hopefully, what I would want to do with all of this planning, with all of this ritualization, with all of... Um, you know, like in this circumstance, this, or it's this circumstance, that, or legacy work is something that really interests me as well. The point is to forge connection while connection is still available in a physical, tangible sense. Mm -hmm. um, to me, I like the rituals that I want to have happen to me are for myself, but they're more for the people who would be losing me. Yeah. Um, they're more for the people who, yeah, I just think about, when I think about my death, I think the thing that scares me the most is the sadness of the people that I would be leaving behind. Mm. Um, don't get me wrong, I freaking love my life, and I'll be sad to leave that too. I will be devastated to leave that too. But when I really think about my own death, and the thing that scares me the most is that the people that I'm leaving behind will not know how to move through what they need to move through. Mm -hmm. So I want for them to have some kind of container for that. Um, and yeah, yeah, I think if I'm, well, I am dying. Yeah. If I am acutely dying, let's say. Um, that's what matters to me. That's what matters to me. So I would just want them to have something to hold on to. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that you, um, that you've made it broader than just romantic partnership, but to, I think it's something that we've probably both observed in our, in, in the hospice work that we've done that. This can be a time of life that is so connective. It that is something I, I want. I want to experience, mm -hmm. like you just articulated, mm -hmm. um, I want to experience really rich connections at that time. Mm -hmm. And it can be possible. Mm -hmm. um, if, we, if everyone is kind of on the same page and is open to connecting in those ways. And, and sometimes that connection means talking about the fact that you're dying like yep. I, I it's a hope that I have that the people who are around me at that time the people I love who are around me are are kind of also willing to to openly acknowledge I hope that we'll all together be able to acknowledge that mm -hmm. that's what's happening yep yeah yeah that's that's a thing I think that's why we wanted to have this conversation is that there's so much secrecy and denial and yeah. um, 
and just unwillingness to, no, that, that sounds judgy. Um, it's something we've learned. Yes. It's something we've learned, um, that we don't talk about these kinds of things until it's absolutely necessary and maybe not even then. And yeah. I think it causes harm. I really do. I think, I think that's why I really wanted to be in death work and to do the dual course and to pursue that is to help people to navigate this time so that it can be rich, so that it can be connected. Um, it's never not going to be hard. Mm -hmm. uh, it's never not going to be maybe even tragic, but I want us, I just want so deeply for us to be able to talk about these kinds of things. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, like I started crying a few minutes ago, but that doesn't mean it was bad or that we shouldn't have had the conversation, you know, mm -hmm. yeah. like it's okay. It's okay to like experience grief as you talk about it. Of course. It doesn't mean that you should change the subject or not think about it. Mm -hmm. Grief isn't the worst thing in the world. No, you're right. Like, <laughs> yeah, like being, in some ways being cut off from grief is way worse. Much worse. Much, much worse. And trying to separate yourself from situations where you might feel grief. Mm -hmm. That means you're separating yourself from being connected. Yep. Yep. I think we've said this before and I've heard it from... More than a few people lately, but grief is love. Grief is love. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, listeners, you're going to die. Yeah. <laughs> and so are we. <laughs> we are going to, we are all going to die. Maybe start thinking about it. <laughs> yeah. If you're not already. Yeah, maybe you're, if you're listening to this podcast, <laughs> you might be thinking, about, thinking it. about it. <laughs> uh, I hope we didn't get too preachy at the end here, but... I guess, well, I don't know. We have feelings about it. We do have feelings about it. We have about opinions it. about it. I guess that's why we started a podcast. I think that is exactly what And that's the glory of the age we're in, is that anyone who has an opinion can like, <laughs> get on a podcast and say what it is. <laughs> Really, I think, I think it can be a sacred time. And sacred doesn't mean easy. No. No, it won't be an easy time. Mm -hmm. It will be, I kind of think, like, getting ready for it might just be the hardest thing I ever do. Mm -hmm. And I kind of feel like it's a project that I'm, like, on now. Like, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm in the project of trying to, I, I need the right verb. It's not accept. It's not, um prepare for mm. I'm in the work of okay here's something uh -huh. that's maybe worth or, or that's like coming around to what I'm getting at uh -huh. I would not be ready if I died tomorrow mm -hmm. however if I learned today that I was going to die tomorrow mm -hmm. I feel really lucky to be able to say that like I think I lived pretty well mm. I have beautiful relationships Mm -hmm. I have sung music that, like, caused me to see the face of God. Like, I've sung music that's just amazing. Mm -hmm. I have been in beautiful places. I think I've helped some people. Mm -hmm. um, I've lived pretty richly. 
I'm by no means ready. And because I am living richly, I'll never be ready. Mm-hmm. Like because I'm living, I'm trying to live richly. I, it doesn't feel to me like I'll ever be ready. But it also kind of means that like, I, I, when I, when I look back and think like, was it, was it meaningful? Mm-hmm. Hell yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it feels like a lucky place to be. And I feel grateful to be in that kind of place. I think that's a beautiful place to be in. I think that's a really lovely place to end this Maybe conversation that's a good place as well. To wrap up. Yeah. Yeah. There is something to the fact that mortality highlights what is beautiful about this life. And beautiful doesn't even seem like a deep enough word for what I'm trying to say. Um, yeah, maybe that was good enough. Maybe we'll, we'll just... <laughs> Oh, God. Um, okay, um, listeners, if you think about your own death a lot mm-hmm. and you like want to tell us what your thoughts are. Ooh, yes. We would love to, we would love to hear from you. And if you do, um, let us know if we can share them on the podcast. Cause if, if you're open to it and you do send that to us, um, we'll, uh, we'll share it. And mm-hmm. then maybe we can all kind of start having a conversation about it together. Yeah. Yeah. I bet we're going to come back to this topic. I think we will. I think that there's so much here to talk about and I actually wanted to just finish off with sharing a little practice that I've actually started doing very recently. Yeah, please. Um, which is simply, um, at the end of the day, I have now started to, and it's only been a few days that I've been doing this, but it really does make a difference. I'm finding I say goodbye to who I was today. Huh? Yeah. I say goodbye to today's Sarah and I thank her. And I express gratitude towards everything that she did on this day because tomorrow I'll be a new person and who I was and that day and all that happened in it is like, it's almost like a grieving ritual, just like a short little acknowledgement that everything in this life is really fleeting and that, yeah, even from day to day, we're completely different people and, um, I've just found it to be really powerful. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Did it just come to you? It did. It was, um, well, it came to me partly through a tarot reading. Um, I was doing it. It actually started when I was doing my end of day tarot reading. And then one of the cards just kind of like nudged me in mm-hmm. that direction. I was like, oh, wait a minute. I think I know what I want to do here. And um, so, yeah. I think that's a, I don't know, it just strikes me as a really nice way to remember our mortality. Yeah. Yeah. In a really beautiful and Mm -hmm. gratitude-filled way. Yeah. Yeah. That's lovely. Mm. I really like it. Maybe I'll try it. You should. (laughs) I think I will. Excellent. Okay. Okay. Um, Well, we will see, well, we won't see you because this is an audio medium. (laughs) But we will talk at you and maybe with you if you email us, listeners, on the next dark moon. Absolutely. All right. Okay. Be well, everyone. Yeah. Take care.